How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 49 of X-Laps. We're just one short of 50. How about that? Uh, today, we're going to continue our look at the X-Men Plus Fantastic Four miniseries with X-Men Plus Fantastic Four number three. Now, this one had a June 2019 cover date, and the story is called To the Victor, written by Chip Zosky with pencils by Terry Dodson, inks by Rachel Dodson and Ransom Getty, Colors, Laura Martin, Andrew Crossley, and Peter Pantasis. Letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna. Edits, Shannon Andrews Balesteros, Martin Byro, Alana Smith, Tom Brevoort, and C.B. Sabolsky. So, really, really heavy on the editing. So, I'm guessing this is going to be a very tight story, right? No mistakes, no nothing. Uh, cover price, $3.99. Went on sale March 25th of 2020. And this is uh, right around the time, or right before the time that... Uh, well, the world shut down, so the fourth and final issue wouldn't come out for uh, another four months. So uh, we'll talk about that one next episode, though, but uh, let's hop right in. Now, we open with the X-Men in hot pursuit of the Fantastic Four's Fantastic Car, as they're fleeing Krakoa and headed to the somehow procured coordinates of Doom Island. Now, we jump into the X-Men's jet here, and after some chatting, uh, Cyclops decides to take the reins and... Uh, by reins, I mean he dons a new piece of precision headwear so that he can uh, blast the bejesus out of the Fantastic Four, which is exactly what he does. Uh, I mean, sure, the, the Reeds and the Sues should be able to survive this sort of assault, but still, there's some highly villainous behavior from our X-Men, isn't it? Eh, not sure I like it. So, Fantastic Hog gets blasted, goes boom, and Sue is able to use a force field bubble for the trillionth time this miniseries, and gently lowers her team down to the island below, which, as luck would have it, is Doom Island. So I gotta ask, if Scott didn't blast them, would they have just flown right past it? I don't know. So, the FF are safe, but then, the X-Men attack. Nightcrawler bamfs Wolverine into the sky so he can swipe at the Human Torch with his claws out. I'm sorry, gang. I can't let this go. Um, we've seen Wolverine a lot in this story, and every time we see him, you know... And this is a story that's heroes versus heroes. These are people who've known each other and been friendly with each other for a very long time, and every time Wolverine's on panel, he's got his damn claws out. Like, are we to believe he's actually swiping at Johnny Storm with the intent to kill him? Because, I mean, from the looks of this panel, he actually makes contact. There's no blood, but still, Johnny does let out a scream. So, uh, I'm sure it wasn't a comfortable glance here. Then, we have Rogue swooping in to clobber the thing. And, uh, you ever notice how, like, online, like, 80% of the people spell Rogue's name as Rouge? I remember back on Usenet, uh, folks would talk about how much they loved, you know, Gambit and Rouge. To which, uh, the rest of us would reply that Gambit doesn't wear makeup. 
And that joke often went over, you know, whoever said its head. And uh, hopefully it doesn't go over everybody's head here. But uh, that always kind of got under my skin. It's like, it's it's not hard to spell that. Just <laughs> look it up. Uh, now, Wolverine is all done eviscerating the Human Torch. He now sets his sights on Mr. Fantastic. Lucky for Reed, Sue encases him in a force field bubble. For the trillion and one-th time, Sue then starts giving uh, marching orders, but then Johnny starts telling her how things are actually going to go right now. You see, there was a method to Wolverine clawing at Johnny. Now, even without wearing a precision helmet, Logan was somehow able to swipe just deep enough to disrupt his helmet's telepath-blocking abilities, and so now Emma Frost is in the driver's seat. She's in Johnny's head. And the first thing she does is threaten to uh, put the Fantastic Four on trial because they illegally entered Krakoa. Okay. Hey, you know what? We haven't had a roll call yet. How about we do it? We got the feared and hated, and they consist of Call Me Kate, Storm, Charles Xavier, Wolverine, Magneto, Cyclops, Beast, Emma Frost, Nightcrawler, and Rogue. Then we got four fearless friends, of which, of course, there are six. Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, Human Torch, Thing, Franklin, and Val. Poor Doctor Doom doesn't get a bubble here, but uh, he will loom large. Uh, Back to comics, and hey, there he is. Back to Doom. Now, Doom actually shows up on the beach where the heroes are fighting, and uh, this is thankfully enough to get them to stop trying to kill one another, at least for the moment. Reed and Sue demand to know where their kids are, and Magneto demands to know where those X-Men are. Doom takes a look at Magneto, he takes a look at Wolverine, and makes a glib comment about Magneto being able to, you know, do that thing that he did to Wolverine back in the Fatal Attractions event in 1993. Which, I mean, if we stop and think about that, it makes me wonder how Logan can be so forgiving of Magneto. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Though I guess that's a probably a discussion we can save for another day. Now, Wolverine, he's running out of patience. He wants to know where Kate is. I hate that we're supposed to be calling her Kate now, but it's, like, almost aggressively irritating seeing Wolverine play along with it. Anyway, no sooner does he ask than she appears. Kitty and the Marauders arrive and inform their teammates that they've made a deal with Doom. They explain the whole fixing Franklin thing, and Doom decides to twist the knife a bit by reminding everyone that he's willing and able to do what Reed Richards cannot or will not. Magneto takes issue with Kitty making this deal in the first place, and they have a little bit of a back and forth. At the end of the day, what's done is done, and the arrangement will proceed as is. Doom decides to give everyone the lay of the land. You see, he's going to let Beast, Reed, Kitty, and Charles accompany him to the lab to oversee this process. The rest of the heroes, however, must remain on the beach, which is to say they are not to enter any occupied areas, i.e. the town, on Doom Island. He reminds them, and us, that Doom Island is considered Latvarian land, and here, Doom makes all the rules. We jump inside the lab here, where Franklin and Val are basically having the same conversation they had last issue. Uh, Franklin's a bit worried about the procedure, and yeah, rightly so. Val's trying to comfort him, but being kind of a jerk about it. Their chat is interrupted by the arrival of Doom and the gang. Now, Reed tries to reason with Franklin. He says he'd like for them all to go home. Well, sorry, Dad Franklin ain't feeling it. Reed doesn't trust Doom, which, uh, yeah, stands to reason. Xavier chimes in, and uh, while he's certain that Doom's got some sort of ulterior motive, he, he agrees that they should still proceed with this experiment. 
Doom lets everyone present know that he's an open book when it comes to this little endeavor, and he invites everyone to go over his work here with their finest tooth combs. Back outside, Wolverine and Storm talk about how little they care for this entire situation. They're soon joined by Emma, Scott, and Magneto, who very much feel the same. Emma comments that her powers appear to be hindered here, which leads her to assume that Doom is probably hiding something. Uh, yeah, you think? She tries to make out the Ladvarian mutants here, but uh, is unable to get anything other than hazy thoughts. She's thinking, hey, we should probably go snag him while Doom's otherwise occupied trying to fix Franklin. Cyclops here tries putting his foot down. After all, Xavier agreed to Doom's terms and that the heroes should remain on the beach and not enter town. Emma thinks this is adorable and mocks, mocks Scott for being dense, and uh, restates her point that this is the most opportune time to make their rescue play. She even suggests recruiting the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe, the Invisible Woman, to help get them in and out of town, un, you know, undetected. The X-Men decide to break into two groups, with Cyclops and Storm hanging back on the beach to distract, quote, Doom's Cabana Boys, while the rest of them head into town. Magneto says if they find out that any of these mutants were being mistreated, then uh, Latveria will suffer. We jump to an info page. This is Reed Richards' journal entry 662037A, Doom Island, and it's, uh, it's just a picture of Doom Island. Um... We do find out that it has an estimated population of 2,500 and has like a belt of a populated area in the middle of the thing. We probably didn't need to expend an entire page on this, but what are you going to do? We jump back to the lab and we get a little bit more about this god power theory. Uh, Doom, of course, regards the god power instead as Von Doom particles, which eh, isn't quite catchy to say, is it? Uh, You'd think Doom would have figured out a more creative term for it, but... What are you going to do? Anywho, his procedure is to futz with Franklin's cells to facilitate his being able to access this other dimensional power source. Or something. Now, Hank McCoy, he ain't so sure what to think here. He seems to get a bit stuck on the theory, in that it suggests that none of them actually have powers. They can only access them where others can't. And this is some sort of kind of high-concept stuff here. I guess it's, you know, the, the, the hox-pox-dox milieu here is passing through to the Fantastic Four office. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure where I fall on it. We'll talk more about it toward the end of the show. Uh, now here, in the middle of Doom's explanation, he's talking about God power. He's talking about mitochondria and cells. Xavier decides this is the best time to pipe in to revisit Latveria not signing the Krakoan Treaty. I mean, Charles, time and place, come on. Doom cuts him off, and he says, Make no mistake, Doom recognizes that Krakoa is a country, but he ain't gonna play the game. He's uh, pretty peeved that Xavier and company now have this swagger of superiority, and you know he ain't wrong. He's annoyed that everything he has, that he, he he's earned, he's worked for it, he's built to it, while the mutants were just lucky enough to be born into power. Again... He ain't wrong. So, let's rejoin our recon team. Uh, I guess they were they were apparently able to convince the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe, the Invisible Woman, to help them with their task. We didn't see the scene, but here we are. Now, they enter a mutant home in town, only to find these young muties are actually petrified of the Kirkullans. They call them enemies of Latveria and threaten to alert Master Doom. 
Emma and Magneto try to calm the kids down, but before they can do so, Magneto spies a doom-shaped shadow lingering outside the window. And we also find out here from Emma that these mutant children, or these young mutants, I guess, they, you know, they sent out the signal to Krakoa. They wanted help, so we don't know what's going on here. Anyway, bada-bing, bada-doom. Looks like we got us an infestation of Doombots. Which, uh, every time I tried typing Doombots into my, my notes here, I, I typed Doom Boys. You know, the T and the Y are so close to each other, it's every time, Doom Boys. So, uh, eh, I don't know. Uh, Magneto tries to use their powers on the Doom Boys, only to learn that he cannot. Huh. Emma then tries to calm her partners down because she senses something a little bit off about these Doombots. Hmm. Well, that ain't gonna stop Wolverine, though, who, for the past three issues, has you know, really had a hankering to skewer somebody or something. And so he runs his claws right through the belly of this Doombot. Only, uh, it's not a Doombot. It's an actual living, breathing human. Or at least it was. Now, while this is going on, Reed is still trying to make peace with the decision his son has made in proceeding with this procedure. Doom hits a button and Franklin gets zapped with a soft blue light. Just then, however, Doom is alerted to the fact that not only did the heroes disobey his orders and go into town, but one of them actually just killed a Latvarian. We wrap up with Doom unleashing his army of Doom Sentinels to deal with this unforgivable act of aggression. Next episode, we will wrap up X-Men plus Fantastic Four in our landmark, milestone, 50th episode of X-Lapsed. But uh, before we do that, let's talk about what we just read. I'm a little less sure how I feel about this issue as I was the prior to. Uh, there's a lot to like here, but some of it didn't quite sit right with me. I mean, I'm coming at this as an X-Men fan first. You know, that's that's my those are my guys, that's my team. If you pit the X-Men up against any other group, I'm always going to side with the X-Men. And I really, really don't care for the way they're being portrayed here. I don't understand why Marvel has this need to prop up all of their other heroes as being above or better or more righteous than the X-Men. But time after time, these are the only stories we get. Anytime the X-Men cross paths with anybody... They come across looking like villains. I mean, AVX, you know, the X-Men cross paths with the Avengers and they come across as villains in that story. The X-Men versus the boring-ass Inhumans. The X-Men don't just look like villains, they look like insane villains. X-Men versus the even more boring-ass S.H.I.E.L.D. The X-Men look like criminals. And here, the X-Men versus the Fantastic Four, the X-Men look like villains who are, like, bloodthirsty villains. They really want to fight. I... And it's it's not that they're being written as less good than these other characters. They're straight out, flat out, being written as bad guys. I don't like that. I find it unnecessary, and it really speaks to how Marvel has more or less decimated their villain roster. Are there even bad guys anymore? Right? I mean, hell, doesn't, like, friggin' Venom have a half-dozen ongoing series now? Do we have bad guys anymore? I mean, the X-Men books, all the bad guys are good guys now. Well, the, bad guys na- the bad guys now are just people in suits. This is like the old Superman problem from the, from the uh, you know, the early burn era, where it's like, who do you put against Superman? Oh, guys in suits. Scientists. 
that's what we're getting here for the X-Men, and this is what we're getting for just villains straight away. So, I mean, the X-Men, I guess, have to fill that role. They're being written as bad guys, and I tell you, I'm kind of over it. Um, Another thing about this that I'm kind of over is how hard we're pushing that the Invisible Woman is the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe. It feels like we're being beaten over the head with this, which only serves to tell me that there's maybe something of an agenda here at play. Like, they really want us to know how powerful she is. And as such, it doesn't feel genuine, it doesn't feel natural, it feels very much forced to the forefront, and as such, doesn't have near the kind of impact it might otherwise have. I mean, it doesn't really make your character look overly powerful if everyone around them is being written as being particularly useless, right? I mean, the Fantastic Four outside of Sue are coming across like they're they're tripping over their own feet. I I don't know what the what the push is here. Uh, I think as much as as much as I loathe saying we can all agree, but I think we can all agree the Invisible Woman is powerful. <laughs> and but to to make her look exceptionally powerful to the expense of everybody else on the page, you ain't helping anybody in that case. Um, let's talk about God Power. Now, I said it, I believe, last episode, but uh, this concept reminds me of the Speed Force over in the Flash comics. And that is, of course, assuming that I'm understanding it right. The way I'm getting it is super characters, metahumans, whatever you want to call them, they don't actually have an innate power, but instead they have the ability to tap into some other dimensional power, I think. Now, The Flash is one of my favorites over at DC. I've I've got a a run of Flash comics that go back before I was born. I'm only missing a handful of issues from, you know, the time I popped onto this planet till now for for The Flash. But the Speed Force, to me, always felt kind of cheap. Just as this concept of God power does here. And again, this is assuming that I'm even understanding it right in the first place. I could be completely out to lunch on this. But, I mean, you can look at any issue of the Flesh since the introduction of the Speed Force concept. Any issue. Wally or Barry or whoever's wearing the costume can't go more than a page or two without bringing it up in conversation or narration. It's basically a crutch. Now, as a storytelling device, I'd say it works once, twice before feeling stale. Um, Unfortunately, the writers haven't gotten the memo. Or maybe I'm alone (laughs) in finding the idea particularly uninteresting. It's like, oh, we, we lost access to the Speed Force. Oh, we're stuck in the Speed Force. There's only so many ways you can do it. And the fact that you open up any Flash comic from the past you know, 25 years, and that's all they're talking about. He's fighting another speedster, an evil speedster, and they're complaining about the Speed Force over and over again. So I'm hoping that this God Power concept, again, if I'm understanding it right, doesn't really become a thing at Marvel. Because I'd really hate to have to, you know, hear about it every few panels like I do over at DC. So, as a concept, right, or a thought exercise, I'm okay with it. In practice, eh, if this becomes a thing, I'm probably going to hate it. But uh, we won't worry about that just yet. Now, we have Emma and the gang sneaking into town to rescue the Latvarian mutants. I was kind of digging the idea here that... uh, you know, when we had these young mutants scared, right? So I was loving this idea that the X-Men just assumed that these mutants would like to return to Krakoa with them because it's their birthright, and of course you would. 
and then were like surprised when they found out they didn't. I thought that was a very interesting curveball, but then Emma reveals that these young mutants actually, you know, sent out the distress call. They wanted to go to Krakoa, which tells me that Doom messed with their minds or something, rather than, you know, they just wanted to remain on the island. I think it would have been much more interesting if these young mutants just wanted nothing to do with Krakoa without any sort of Doom wrinkle, right? But, I mean, what are you going to do? We only got one more issue, so we got to get some stuff done. Uh, Wolverine actually murdering a Latverian. Yeah, that's something that happened, isn't it? And I tell you what, I mean, if you've got razor-sharp adamantium claws and you refuse to holster them, this is exactly the sort of thing that's going to happen. I'm not sure how or if the X-Men will be able to walk this one back. You know, they, they killed a civilian, right? Of course, he was being used by Doom as a, you know, fake-ass Doom bot, but still, you know, he was run through with razor-sharp adamantium claws. Uh, but, you know, we'll find out. I'm glad that we got another mostly Sentinel-free issue because I was a little concerned that this was all going to be X-Men Fantastic Four putting their differences aside to fight Sentinels. So I'm glad we got another issue without that. But I'm already, you know, kind of bracing for a robot-filled conclusion. But that'll be a discussion for another day. Overall, despite my concerns and complaints, because I am coming across probably particularly negative about this, um, despite all that, I'm having a mostly good time with this miniseries. Um, There is a little bit of doubt lingering in my head due to something that I just learned about this miniseries, which I'll share with you all in just a moment. But for the most part, this is good stuff. Um, I've said it before, I wouldn't mind a Zarsky, uh, Dodson, Fantastic Four run. I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, I don't particularly care for how the X-Men are coming across here, but I can't blame that on the writer. I can't blame that on the creative team. I think that's just the role of the X-Men now. Is just, uh, we don't have enough bad guys. So if the X-Men cross paths with anybody, guess who's going to be the bad guy? It's unfortunate, but it's... Uh, you know, it is Marvel of the 21st century, and that's... And, and do they have the movie rights yet? Uh, maybe when they get the movie rights, for sure. Then we'll start seeing the X-Men do heroic things again, but uh, I guess till then we just have to do with what we do. But I think that's all I got to say about X-Men plus Fantastic Four number three. But before I let you go, let's dip into the mailbag here. We got a couple of uh, short messages. Uh, first one's from Damien, and he's talking about X-Men plus Fantastic Four number two. He says, I'm really enjoying 4X so far. The original series back in 1987 remains my favorite Fantastic Four story, so it's great to see so many references. You're right that the Doom and Valeria relationship lifts the whole book. And yeah, um, I'm loving the references. I think the references in those first two issues were great. Um, uh, Not only for the fact that, you know, I'm insane and I love having (laughs) clarification on what did happen, but uh, I just thought it really... uh, it helped to tie things together. It made things feel natural. It also told me that the person who wrote this read that. And, uh, I mean, that doesn't sound like much, but I, I think we're in a world now where source material and inspiration is not read by by uh, the new breed of writers. So it's nice to see that uh, that they did do some time. You know, they, they, they read the, what came before. I really appreciate that. Uh, the Val and Doom relationship is always... It's adorable. It's so much fun uh, to see, you know, this this little kid with Dr. Friggin' Doom wrapped around her little finger. I, I think that's a lot of fun. And they got this, like, weird, like, contentious 
you know, can you top this? Uh, who's smarter than who? Sort of thing. W- without like the meanness uh, and the coldness of the Reed and Doom relationship, it's it, it's really cool. I like it a lot. Uh, back to Damien. You mentioned how difficult it is to place this series in continuity. Cannonball should not be in this story. You could no prize it by saying that Bobby gave him a Krakoan gateway flower, but I don't see him visiting without his family. And yeah, that's true. His family, as boring as they are, yeah, he wouldn't be here alone. So I'm guessing that that was probably just a, uh, a gaffe um, in attention to detail, which, again, this is, uh, this is a different editorial office. It's, I don't know, I, I always go back to the shooter days where everything had a purpose. Everybody knew where every character was. If a character had his own miniseries, they were pulled out of their main book. I'd love to go back to something kind of like that, but I know that that time has passed, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think anyone but us noticed that Cannonball was there in the first place. And even if other people were like, hey, there's Cannonball, they wouldn't have any reason to believe that he shouldn't be there. It's just uh, the way things go now. Because I'm, I'm guessing Wolverine was probably in five or six books this month. So, who knows? Uh, Damien continues. And this is the thing I just learned about this miniseries. Damien continues, The weirdest thing about this series is that apparently when Chip Zarsky proposed the series, Hickman added the Cyclops and Fantastic Four scene to House of X number one to set this up. That means our favorite bit of the first issue existed solely to pimp a spinoff. It seemed so integral. Oh, man. That is so disappointing. (laughs) Sucks. Oh, man, that was... I'm pretty sure I said uh, way back in the first episode of this program that that was my favorite scene in the entire issue because... I've been waiting for the whole Franklin thing to come in in between these uh, these two families... And I was so psyched for it because, I mean, I've been I've just been waiting for it, and finally it's going to be addressed, and finally there's like a an organic reason for it to happen, where it just won't be one day Professor X wakes up and says, "Hey, why isn't Franklin with us?" This is instead, you know, about building a mutant society and and having Krakoa as a mutant birthright. So it makes perfect sense for this story to be happening now, but to find out that. Uh, to find out that it wasn't part of the Hickman plan? Ah, man, that sucks. Uh, that really takes the wind out of my sails. Uh, I mean, I was expecting so much more out of this miniseries, and I was hopeful that what came out of it was going to inform like so much of the uh, Dawn of X world. I was hoping that uh, that we would know that this series happened, right? Because so, so often we'll get miniseries where you read them or you don't, it doesn't matter. This one, I thought was going to sidestep that. This one, I thought was going to be like, it's like, well, you want to know what happened? You need to read this. Like, all the books going forward, you're going to need, you're going to need to know what happened here in order to uh, get the most out of it. Starting to feel like that's not the case. Um, of course, we're also, you know, we've also been hindered by the pandemic and the fact that this miniseries i think this issue came out in april or something the next one won't come out again until oh no this one came out in march the next one doesn't come out until july so i guess you can't really hold everything back but uh 
I don't know. It's just that's very disappointing to me. Um, I had a lot of uh, a lot of my ex eggs were, were gold balls in in this basket, <laughs> and uh, to find out that uh, it was an afterthought and not even a Hickman afterthought. Yeah, that kind of stinks. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that kind of stinks. But uh, Damien wraps up with in the feedback section of the prior episode. You spoke about Lorna Dane. She does reappear soon. She's a member of X-Factor when that launches, and she plays a key role in the first two episodes of X of Tens. I do think the relationship between Scott and Lorna in X-Men number one is unintentional. They simply forgot that X-Men fans are primed to see soap opera shenanigans and everything. And yes, you are 100% right, because, uh, because I mean, that's the way X-Men comics were for so long, especially, you know, during, during my formative years, where... Any sideways glance, uh, I always felt there was meaning to it. Any kind of uh, accidental, you know, accidental knuckle brush when somebody walks past another person was uh, was suspect. And uh, and every every inflection that you can project into a piece of dialogue was legit, you know. So yeah, I'm guessing that uh, that I simply read too much into uh, the Scott telling Lorna that he has her, and it, where it was more of a I have you in the mutant sister sense rather than the love interest sense but uh yeah i'm, I'm happy to hear that she'll be back um x factor uh, i'm wondering what that's going to be all about uh from what i've seen on the covers it looks like x factor is a like a uh, security force or like a like a police uh for for krakoa i could be completely wrong i'm just going by the covers but uh i'm looking forward to it and i think we'll be getting to that uh no i wouldn't i couldn't even tell you <laughs> We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> but I am looking forward to it. Uh, thank you uh, so much for the message, Damien. And I'm, I'd be interested to hear your uh, final thoughts on uh, on X-Men Fantastic Four when, uh, when we're all done with it. I want to hear uh, if it lived up to its expectations for you. I don't know if it's going to live up to the expectations for me yet. I haven't read the fourth issue. But uh, I'm interested to hear uh, your thoughts on it overall. See if it's... Uh, not so much an evergreen, but uh, something that'll be integral or not. So thank you, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you on that. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a message from Evan Bevins on Excalibur number 1. Now he says, on Excalibur number 1, I've been pronouncing Apocalypse's name as Ah, but your way is much more amusing. And thank you. I, I, <laughs> I thought when I did it, when I committed to the bit, which is one of the hardest things you can do if you're sitting alone talking into a microphone by yourself like a like a crazy person, committing to the bit because you don't have an audience in front of you. I, I don't even have any of my pets in the room with me. So you don't know how things are going to land. And when I said, hey, and I'm like, I, I must look like the or must look and sound like the biggest you know jackass doing that. But uh, but so far, people have dug the A. So that's good. <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, Evan wraps up with I like the cast here and the setup Having Betsy as Captain Britain but not in Britain Ah, trying to convince everyone he's good But the magic stuff and the execution didn't stick for me I laughed every time you referred to Morgan's minions as LARPers Because <laughs> they did seem like it, right? They seemed like they were, uh Like they should be carrying around bags of rice And throwing them at, like at like tin to make the the lightning sound and, and so they can yell lightning bolt lightning bolt um and you know you brought up a point here that i neglected um the fact that betsy is captain britain but she doesn't live in britain she lives on krakoa that's interesting that's not something i thought of before 
that is a pretty cool thing. I wonder if they'll explore that as a, or maybe they haven't. I just haven't noticed it. But I wonder if that'll be something that comes up in a in a you know in a way that they have to deal with it. And uh, yes, yeah, similar to you, the magic stuff that didn't work for me. That never works for me. Um, I, I like to say that me and Superman have the same weaknesses, and that's magic. <laughs> Superman can't deal with it, and neither can I. Uh, magic just makes everything a little too easy and a little too convenient. And I mean, though we are reading about books with uh, either superpowers or god power, <laughs> magic is kind of where I is kind of where I start to glaze over. And the fact that Excalibur is so overly reliant on uh, on magic and magical tropes and fantasy and fantasious elements, I suppose. It's uh, it's hard to relate uh, for me. Um, where I where I really enjoy it is the interpersonal stuff, which I think uh, is it Teeny Howard. I think she she does really good with that. It's just when we go into this like weird dungeon master LARPing thing, it's just like uh, can we just not? Can we just skip these pages? It, you know, if I was a lesser producer, I would just skip the pages. <laughs> Be like, we're going to jump ahead three pages to where Richter and Gambit are having a conversation. But uh, no, can't do that. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for reaching out, Evan. I always appreciate hearing from you. And uh, I'll be interested to hear uh, your thoughts on uh, on more of the Dawn of X books as you, uh, as you get to them. Um, we do have some listeners who are just getting through the uh, the Hox Pox era here with uh, with Al and uh, and Evan and, and maybe some others who haven't reached out yet. I'm definitely interested in hearing your thoughts on the uh, at least the first issues of the uh, of the Wave One. You know, uh, things like X Force, which ended on a massive cliffhanger. Things like Fallen Angels, which kind of stunk on ice. Um, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on on just what directions we're going here. If it met your expectations, or if it's you know so different from Hox Pox that it's a, a little bit of a turnoff. So definitely let me know how you feel about those things. And uh, anybody, if anybody would like to reach out and let me know how you feel about these sort of things or any sort of things, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at Gmail dot com. You can find show notes and blog posts and a whole bunch of stuff at where is my web? Chris is on infiniteearths.com. Yeah, that's the website that I've been maintaining for five years and for totally spaced the name. Uh, you can also go to xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com to find all the episodes of this program and be able to listen to them in the proper order. Uh, you can find the Facebook group at 90s X Men and the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But I think that's where we'll put a pin in it and. Uh, that's where I'll leave you before our giant, well, probably normal-sized, uh, <laughs> and probably just as well-received 50th episode of X Lapsed, which we will, uh, in which we will wrap up this uh, X-Men Plus Fantastic Four miniseries. But until then, one more massive thank you to everyone for listening and hanging out and sharing your time with me. And, uh, and as always, until next time, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya! Searching